Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. Good to see you guys this morning. Uh, We are kind of doing something just a little bit unique. We just finished a series entitled Homesick, and we're about to start next week a series that uh, our staff has been trying to get me to do for seven years. Uh, The series is called Smoke from a Fire. So we're excited about that. It's really a series that deals with uh, emotions in in many ways because when you think about smoke, when you see smoke in the distance, you realize the smoke is not the real issue. It's what's causing that, the fire that's below. And so in our life, our emotions many times serve that purpose. See, they really show us that something kind of deeper in our life is going on. And, And some of us are just controlled by our emotions and some of us don't really have a good grasp on our emotions. And so no matter where you are on that continuum, we're excited about this next series as we see what God's Word has to say about our emotions and then how the gospel can really do a work of healing once we kind of identify what's going on in our lives. So I hope you'll make plans to be here next week. We're excited about that series. But what does that leave us for today? For today, it's a free skate. I don't know if you remember that as a kid growing up. We can just do whatever we want to do. So this is a message that I just got to pick, just preach on whatever I wanted to preach on uh, today. And this is a message that... uh, that I need to hear probably more than anybody else uh, in this room because when it comes to evangelism, right, I can sort of ebb and flow. I can get super excited about that at times in my life and, and then other times I can kind of cool off a little bit. And so I'm going to talk about that today. We're, we're going to talk about how fishermen, fishermen are made and, and not born. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open them up to Mark chapter 1 and we'll start in verse 16 and we're going to talk about what it means uh, for a fisherman to be made and not born. So I'm a fisherman. Now, here, what we have is uh, the first rod and reel I got as a four-year-old little kid. It's a Zebco 33. Uh, my dad got me one as I was a four-year-old little boy. And uh, this is just kind of how, how you begin fishing with one of these. Sorry about that, guys. I didn't, know, didn't mean that. And I'm hung up. So, okay. Any, any chance somebody could help me right there? Just, that's what you do when a friend gets stuck. You just kind of bring that. Eh, perfect, yeah. I was going to try to throw it up in the baptistry, uh, but that would have been probably sacrilegious. So if, uh, like... When I go fishing and Nick goes, uh, I, Nick uses a Zebco 33 because that's kind of fishing 101. Uh, that was rough, wasn't it? Hey, guys, let me just say this. Men, if you're still fishing with one of these, I want to be honest. I love you enough to share the truth with you. People are making fun of you. And so you need to, you need to kind of progress past that. And so in uh, next level of fishing, you got this spinning rod and reel, and that's what you just want to move up to. You know, when Robbie goes fishing with me, uh, Robert is, uh, you know, he stepped up to, to this, you know, a spinning reel. It's a little more difficult, but you can do a whole lot more with it. So that's as you're kind of learning because, listen, you're just not born knowing how to, to use this kind of a, a equipment. And then finally, back here behind me, when you see somebody using one of these, and this is a, a bait caster, this kind of separates the men from the boys, so to speak. And if you see somebody casting one of those, then you really got a good sense that they know what they're doing, right? But that takes time. It takes really hours of, of practice I overstated that, maybe an hour. Uh, anyways, it's not like fishing is like super complicated. Let me, be, let me be honest with you. But, but we're, not really, we're not really born fishermen, but we have to be made. We have to grow. We have to develop. And we're going to see today that that's really the work that God's wanting to do in your life, in my life. He's going to, wants to make us into something that we are just not. And I, I want to say this before we look at the scripture. When, when somebody like me starts talking about evangelism, some of you are like, see, that's my problem with you Christians, 
Maybe you came with a friend and your friend's going, man, I cannot believe I brought my friend here today and you're talking about this. And you see, people think, you know what, you, you think you're better than other people, so you need to share the gospel because you're, you're better. I don't, I don't think I'm better than anybody. In fact, I know I'm not better than anybody. What I believe is because of the gospel and what Christ has done in my life, I think I am better, better off. That, that, that's a difference. Secondly, People say, well, why can't you just leave people alone? Why can't you just let people believe what they want to, want to believe? And I, to that I would say, sure, of course. Anybody is welcome to believe what they want to believe. But we have to look at the truth of, of Scripture that God has commanded us to share the gospel. And, and I would say to you that if I really believe the truth of the gospel, and let me just define my terms right now for for the start. What, what, when I'm talking about the gospel, what do I mean? Well, I mean this. I, I believe this. I believe every person who's born on planet earth is born separated from God because of sin. And so that, that's a controversial statement. People say, well, I don't believe that. I believe that people are inherently, people are just inherently good. And I always say the same thing, joking, but, but not really. If you, you believe that people are inherently good, then just go and work with a class of three-year-olds uh, for about the next hour, and you will, you'll see a sin nature. We're not born inherently good. You don't have to teach a three-year-old how to lie, steal, or hit. They know that, batteries included. <laughs> so, so I really believe that. I, I believe we're born separated from God because of, of sin. Secondly, God doesn't leave us in that state. You see, we cannot get to Him. God is holy. We cannot get to Him by our own effort or achievement. But God got to us through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ, who was perfect on our behalf. He lived a sinless life. He lived a life that I could never live. And then He died a sacrificial death. There needed to be payment for my sin. And Jesus paid for my sin debt in, in full. And, and not only did He pay for my sin debt in full, the, the, the separation that are the, the death that this separation brought. Jesus overcame it when he was resurrected from the grave. And so through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, I can have this forgiveness of sin and life with the Lord. That's what I believe about the gospel. And here's the bottom line. I believe that everybody on planet earth who lives their life and resists the gospel of Jesus Christ, refuses to place trust in him and Savior, uh, place trust in him as Savior and Lord, will spend eternity separated from God. I believe that's true. And so if I do not share what I believe about the gospel, I think that could be the most unloving thing that I could do, right? So we're going to talk about that today. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at Mark chapter 1. Mark is the, the second book in the New Testament. And I said this on Thursday night because we, we had somebody here on Thursday night, and they said this. They said, I don't know what you're talking about when you talk about the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, and sometimes in church, we just kind of assume things, and, and folks are kind of new to church. Well, we're talking about the New Testament. The New Testament begins with the message of Jesus Christ, the Jesus story. And the first four books in the New Testament are what we refer to as the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they begin with the birth of, of Jesus and tell his life, miracles and teaching, his sacrificial death and his resurrection. And so in Mark chapter 2, uh, we, we, we get a look at Jesus starting his ministry. Now, if you want to read one of the four, Mark is the shortest. He's like the Cliff Notes version of the, the gospel. And so sometimes we have to read some other gospel accounts to get sort of a fuller picture of what was going on. It's not that what Mark is saying is not true. Mark just cuts right to the chase and he kind of leaves out some de details. Mark chapter 1, verse 16 says, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee. Who's passing along? Jesus is passing along the Sea of Galilee because that's where, where he lived. And, and so he saw Simon.
Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. The scripture says, for they were fishermen. So here's Simon. We later come to know him as Peter and his brother Andrew. And I love how Mark writes it. He says they were casting a net into the sea because they were fishermen. Like we didn't know that. I mean, it makes sense that they were fishermen if they were casting a net into the sea. And then verse 17, and Jesus said to them, Jesus said to to Peter and to Andrew, two brothers, he said, follow me. And I will make you. Now let's stop right there. Because if if, if you know the scripture, if you know this story, we can sort of miss some of the majesty of it. We, We would think that Jesus might say, hey guys, follow me and I'll make you more disciplined. Hey guys, follow me and I'll make you a better version of who you are. I'll make you a better husband. I'll make you a better better father. Follow me and I'll give you the victory, the ability to overcome sin. But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says to these guys, he says, follow me, and look, he says, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. That was Jesus' agenda for these guys, and it's his agenda for you. And then verse 18 says, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, here's the thing. We might read that and think, some dude in a robe and sandals walks up and just says, hey guys, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, and they just drop everything and follow him. We're like, that's kind of weird. I'm not sure I would do that. That's why Luke's gospel, the fourth gospel writer, Luke is a physician. He's a historian. Luke just gives a lot more detail. Luke tells this same story, but he gives us some background of what happened before these guys followed Jesus. And in Luke's story, he talks about Jesus preaching on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. After he was done preaching, he said to Simon Peter and Andrew, he said, hey, let's take your boat out and go fishing. And they're like, carpenter, this is me, not them. We've fished all night. We haven't caught anything, but because you said so, we'll go. And so if you you grew up in church, you kind of remember that story maybe? And so they go out and Jesus tells them to drop their nets down and they caught such a massive amount of fish that they were about to sink their boat. So they had to get James and John to bring their boat. And so they're dumping fish into their boat and they bring them to the shore and it's just this miraculous catch of fish. And then Jesus makes that statement, hey, you think this is good? Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so they, they left everything and followed him. And to that, their fathers who would have been there on the shore would be like, yes, follow him. You see? So that gives us a little greater context. So they dropped everything and followed him. Verse 19, and going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were uh, mending their nets because they were fishermen. And immediately he called them, and they left their their father and their nets with the hired servants, and they, they followed him. So let's begin today. And let's begin to see how Jesus' agenda of making these first followers fishers of men is really his agenda for us. And how can that begin to happen? Because here's what I thought all my life. Like when I came to church and some dude was talking about this topic, I thought he meant, you know what, I want you to leave today, get a sign, go to the Titans game, John 3.16, hold it up and just kind of be weird, you know, or go knock on every neighbor's door and leave them a track. Not that there's anything wrong with that. And I'm like, man, that's, so God just wants me to do his dirty work. And he's just going to put me in awkward, uncomfortable situations. And that's what evangelism is. No, 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 no. It's way different than that. But let's look at a couple things. If I'm going to begin to be made into what Jesus has created me to be made into, a couple things have to happen. Number one, first thing is we have to drop the excuses, right? As a, as, as a dad, we, we just, and this is a poor parenting moment, so you can think less of me if you want, but, you know, when my boys, they just had an excuse for everything. They're not here so this morning. They were just in the last service so I can talk about them. Do you have that as a parent? Like, whatever you talk to them, there's an excuse for everything or 
And I just said, around our house, and they started, uh, I, I started giving me excuses. We just said, excuses are for losers, right? And that's what we said. Some of you are like, man, that's a terrible parenting moment. Well, it's raw. Because we'll never run out of excuses, but we will run out of time, right? So the first excuse when it comes to evangelism is this, I don't have what it takes. And so excuses sort of dismiss us. If we can make some statement, we can say, you know what, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know, but I don't really have what it takes. So that sort of excuses us. But let's press into that excuse. Let's really see if that excuse holds water. I don't have what it takes. Let me ask you a question. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, not assuming that everyone is, but if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, do you believe that the moment you repented of your sin and put faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you received the Holy Spirit? I'm asking. Yeah. Yeah, you receive the Holy Spirit. So what you're saying is you have the Holy Spirit. You're saying the Holy Spirit is not enough in me to be used to make other followers of Christ. See, that doesn't make any sense. You see, here's what I believe. I believe if you have the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit dwells within you, you are more than qualified to share the gospel. Wouldn't it make sense if the third person of the Trinity dwells inside of you, you're more than qualified to share the gospel. Would you agree with that? So it really doesn't hold water. Now, here's another thing that Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Now, I don't know if you realize this. There are about 36,000 types of fish. That's a lot of different types of fish. And so I think part of what Jesus is getting at is all of us, if you're in Christ, you're uniquely suited to reach certain types of people. Does that make sense? That no matter what, what you are with your personality style, because we all have different personality styles, with your experiences, with your sphere of influence, with your hobbies, with your interests, with your profession, whatever that is, you're uniquely situated to reach certain types of people. You see, we think that evangelism is really the work of the pastor. Here's what I want to say. I want to put that back on you. There are certain people that you are way more gifted to reach than I am. There are certain people you are way more uniquely suited to reach because of your personality, your hobbies, your interests, and your experiences. Does that make, make sense? And so I think we have to drop the excuse. Fishermen reach fishermen. Soccer moms reach soccer moms. Recovering addicts uh, reach other uh, addicts. So uh, here's the second excuse. Well, it's not my gift. Well, this sounds kind of like the first, but it's a little more stained glass, meaning it's a little bit more for the spiritually astute. It's for the folks who kind of understand a little bit more about the Scripture, and they know that when we come to faith in Christ, not only do we receive the Holy Spirit, but we get giftings, like from the Holy Spirit, and there is an evangelism gifting. Like some people are more gifted in evangelism than others, and so from that we believe they're the only ones that are called to do evangelism, and that's just wrong. That's, a, that's an excuse. Like let's look at some of the other giftings. We wouldn't say this. I mean, the Scripture talks about those who have the gift of service, right? Would we say that they're the only ones in the church that are ever supposed to serve? No, we would never say that about that. Like if my wife, I've used this before, uh, she's not here so uh, I can talk big. Um, you know, she says, hey, I, I, need you, I need you to go ahead and get the trash out to the street. Well, that, the service is not really my spiritual gift. And I don't want to be working outside of my spiritual gift. Would that work in your house? Absolutely not. But see, we do that with, with evangelism. So here's what we see second, second of all. Evangelism is not merely a calling for the select few, but it's the mission of us all. Do you believe that if you're in Christ? Evangelism, like nobody responded there. It's not just a really a calling for the select few. I mean, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, the Great Commission, who's that for? Was that just for the disciples or is it for us? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Is, is that Christ's command for just a select few? No, it's for, for all of us. Here's the third excuse. And we could look at a lot of these, but we'll, we'll stop here. I hear people say this, and this is a direct quote. 
talking to other people about Jesus makes me feel weird. And I want to just press into that. Me too. Like it just does. I mean, I think sometimes we think, you know what, it makes me feel, feel weird. And so I'm sure for other people it doesn't make them feel weird. You know what, talking to people about Jesus sometimes makes me feel nervous. Like it's easy to talk about, uh, you know, the MTSU game yesterday or talk about the Titans today or talk about the weather or just talk about some things. That, that's kind of easy to talk about. When you start talking about a person's spiritual life and their worldview, start talking about the message of Christ, sometimes we get nervous. And I think that's just true. I think we just need to embrace that and say all of us feel that way to a certain extent. Now, J.D. Greer says this. I think it's a cool quote. He says, evangelism is really two nervous people talking to each other. That's kind of what it is. So this is sort of an excuse that we can say, you know, it makes me feel nervous, so I'll just, I'll, just, I'll just pull back. But let's think about it just a little bit more. This is super important. Here's what I believe. I believe the message of the gospel is so important. It's so important. It's important enough for us to push through a little awkwardness. Does that make sense? The message of the gospel is so important. It's important enough for us to push through a little awkwardness or perhaps a little nervousness. In fact, I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Listen to this. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power of salvation for everyone who believes. And, he, and he's, not saying, he's not saying that sharing the gospel isn't a little bit awkward at times. He's, he's saying that he's not ashamed of the gospel. He pushes through it because this is the power of salvation. And when he's talking about salvation here, he's not just talking about missing hell and making heaven. He's talking about the power to radically transform every aspect of our life. I know that everything in my life is different today because of what Christ has done in me. Now, I heard this, this story, or actually read this story. It was an article, in the, I think, in the L.A. Times. It happened several years ago just outside of Los Angeles, California. About 3 o'clock in the morning, a young guy was finishing up a shift at a, at a restaurant, and he was making his way home when it happened. An earthquake happened, a powerful earthquake, which hit Southern California quite often. He knew exactly what it was. So he pulled his car off to the side of the road and waited for the tremors to, to stop. And then he began to make his way down that same highway that he traveled home on every night. He's watching a car in front of him. The lights of that car just immediately disappear. And so he, he stops because he knows something is not right. And he stops, and he stops just in time to see what had happened is a bridge that they were about to go over had just collapsed, or a portion of it had collapsed because of the earthquake. And that car, not realizing that, just went off that embankment. 75 feet down, that car plummeted. So he stops, and immediately he looks back and hears two other cars are just screaming down that same highway, and he's on the side of the road, and he is screaming, and he is waving his arms, trying to get those cars to stop, but they don't, do not stop, and, and they uh, have the same fate as they go over that bridge, the bridge that's knocked out. And we might think, listen, I mean, if I'm driving my car down a highway in Los Angeles at 3 in the morning, and some dude's on the side of the road waving his arms and telling me to stop, I'm not probably going to stop either, right? You with me on that? But he sees a bus coming, and so he decides to do something different. He says, I'm not going to sit here and wave my arms. This time, that bus is going to have to run me over. And so he gets in the middle of the road and just stands in the middle of the road in front of this bus, waving his arms. The bus is flashing its lights, blowing its horn, but it stops. And obviously, he gets out and shows the driver what's ahead. So the driver takes and positions the, boat, or positions the bus across the traffic so no one can go that way any longer. No one can be harmed. Now, here's the deal. 
Why was that guy willing to wave his arms, kind of look foolish, stand in the middle of traffic looking exceedingly foolish? Why was he willing to do that? He was willing to do that because he understood the implications of what was on the other side. You see, and I think that really plays for us as it relates to the gospel. Why would we be willing to engage someone in in perhaps even a difficult conversation or a conversation that that caused us to feel a little anxiety because we understand the big picture, what's on the other side? Let me just ask you a simple question. Do you believe the message of the gospel is true? And you say, the message of the gospel that I just explained to you, that if someone rejects Christ as Savior and Lord, that they will spend eternity separated from God, do you believe that? And so if that is true, that means that we might be willing to to step into some awkward and and difficult situations sometimes to explain the gospel. Because here's what I believe about the gospel. I I believe three things. I I believe the situation that we live in right now in our world is, 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 is urgent. Do you believe that? I believe the battle for the lives of men and women, for marriages, for, for in, in every area of their life, for our children, and for the souls of men, women, boys, and girls, I believe the situation is urgent. Now, here's what I would say next. MTSU students, Dr. McPhee was in the first service. We talked about this. He agreed with it. The message of Jesus Christ is historical, and you don't know history intuitively. In other words, history is just not something I'm born knowing. I have to be taught history. Do you see that? And so I believe the message of Jesus Christ is unique historically. So people can know that there's a God that exists, but they cannot know how to get to God. They cannot know the truth of who Jesus is unless somebody explains that to them. And then the third reason that I believe, I believe the verdict is final. Like I sort of, in my life, I just as a kid, I just remember playing in the backyard with my buddies and playing ball and if something didn't go right, we just called a do-over. You remember do-overs? Just do-over, right? You're out. No, I'm going to do a do-over. It's a do-over. But here's the deal. When you and I breathe our last, there are no do-overs. It's been done. And to reject the gospel, the verdict is final. So that's why this is such an important thing. The implications are so, so important. Now the problem with this, listen, and and, and I haven't done a great job with this, but people get so angry because here's what people say. They say, you know what? Well, that's your way. That's what you believe about how someone gets to God, but that's not what I believe. And then people begin to explain that. Most people believe that, you know what? That's a narrow-minded view of how a person gets to God. I, I really believe if a person is a good person, if they love other people, if they care for other people, if they try to serve other people, then then at the end of the day they'll they'll just be all they'll be all right. And so here's what I'm saying. You're, you're, you're coming to God on your own terms. You've created your own worldview there. That is, I want you to understand this. That's contradictory to what the Bible teaches. The Bible says something completely opposite about that. Jesus said this in John chapter 14. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So these are two opposing claims. You see, because that's what we believe in our world, that we really believe in our world, that all these religious systems, they all really say the same thing. They don't. It's very different very different. They can't both be true. They can both be false, but they can't both be true, all right? So the first thing we have to do is just drop the excuses. The second thing, the second thing we have to do is we have to remember that to, to follow Jesus is to, is to fish. This is God's agenda for you, and this is so super important. This is what Jesus said in Mark chapter 1. He says, hey, Pete, I want you to follow me, and then I'm going to make you fishers of men. Now, 
Again, what is Jesus getting at when he made that statement? Because his agenda for his first followers is his agenda for you. And I want you, to, I, want you to, I want you to really connect with me here. Do you understand that Jesus' agenda, according to the Scripture, Jesus' agenda for his first followers is that he would make them fishers of men. Do you understand that? And so that means that's his agenda for us. But what are the implications of that? You see, when we begin to fish, it provides us an escape from the temporal and a taste of the eternal. Like when he says this to Simon, Peter, and Andrew on the shore of Sea of Galilee that day, and they're just stinky fish just flopping around everywhere from this miraculous catch. He says, hey, guys, you can stay here and you can clean fish, or you can go with me and watch God change lives. We're with you. We're with you. I think most people are bored in the church today. I hear people say this, why don't we see miracles today? Is, does God perform miracles? Have you ever thought about that? Why are there not as many miracles today as we saw maybe back in the New Testament time? Are there still miracles today? Absolutely. But if you want a taste of the eternal, if, if, if you want, like some of you might be here today and you might say, well, man, I'm here today because I'm struggling. I'm struggling in my marriage. Or what do you have to say to single moms? Or what do you have to say to a single dad who's really struggling and broken? Or, or maybe I've got some financial issues. Or maybe I'm stressed out about school. What have you got to say about this? Listen, here's what I would say. If you really get serious about God's agenda for your life, God's agenda for your life, there is a depth of purpose, passion, excitement, the supernatural that you begin to experience that far outweighs any of that. It could be, it could be what you've been looking for all along if we would just let God do what he wants to do, and that's make us in the fishers of men. Now, I never will forget this. This will offend many of you in this room. And I don't mean to do that. I, I just think in the church, uh, we have, we've just been against everything, right? We just, I don't know what our deal is. We're against everything. I, I remember I have friends that are against Halloween. And if you're against Halloween, that's between you and God. I'm not making a statement. I'm not. I'm not against Halloween. I love Halloween. And you say, what are you into, like worshiping demons and stuff? No, no, no. I just like the fact that it's the only time in the year that my neighbors come to my house and knock on my door. I think that's pretty cool. And I'd kind of like to be there and get a chance to say hi to them, right? I mean, I'm not dressed up in some scare. I'm not trying to freak them out, dressed up in some. I'm just there, you know? And so several years ago, Amy and I decided we're going to cook out on Halloween. I know this is weird. Our neighbors thought it was weird too. But anyways, we just got a bunch of hot dogs, and we just set up a grill in the front yard because we're a back porch culture, right? Inside our fence, and, and we've kind of forgotten about the front porch. It's a whole other message. So we're grilling hot dogs in our front yard as people are bringing their kids to our neighborhood to trick-or-treat. They're like, trick-or-treat. We give them some candy and say, hey, you guys want to hang out and have a hot dog? And they're like, no, that's weird. We don't. <laughs> Nobody stayed. We're grilling hot dogs, and we had a cooler full of, like, Coke, Diet Coke, and water. And people are like, no. And, and Amy's looking at me like, it's a terrible idea. And my boys are laughing. They're little, but they're laughing. And, and, um, and then he showed up. Now, I'm just telling you the way the story went down. So I'm not making any, I'm not making any judgments about anything. So I've, I've already heard from many of you. He's, he's smoking a cigarette and he's drinking a beer. And he comes over and he, his language is rough, man. That's what we're doing. I said, dude, we're just, just grilling out trying to meet our neighbors. You want a hot dog? He said, Sure. I said, you want to sit down? He said, yeah. He sat down, and my boys, I can see, I mean, they're little guys. Their eyes are big, and they're standing back. They're like, whoa, dad's got him a live one right here. Right? <laughs> <laughs> they're just kind of laughing because, I mean, they're like, church, they're like preacher's kids. I mean, you know, they're little dudes. It just doesn't happen at Wednesday night church, you know what I'm saying? 
So we're just talking, man. We're just talking through the night. He stayed. And um, Rob began to pour his heart out, man. I mean, it took about an hour, and he's talking about his wife leaving him and what he was experiencing, moved down here from Ohio, and he didn't know anybody. And just, he's just, I mean, just, he's just crushed. So uh, Amy's sitting there. She said, man, we'd love to have you over Friday night. You want to come over for dinner? And, and he said, yeah, I'll be there. He came over Friday night for dinner, and uh, we had dinner, and we, we sat in the den and talked, and, and his language was rough and raw, and it just felt like the right time to, to, to tell what God had done in our life, and so we did, just nervous, you know. And I never forget that night in my den, Rob said a forever yes to Christ, I always tell people, my boys didn't see the Red Sea part. They heard the story. But they saw something that night, and I saw something that night I will never for, forget, and I will never get over. It's like the most exciting thing in my life. I'm desperate for more of that. Because he, he became one of my greatest friends. I mean, he's, he was a dude that we just, we just got super, super close, and he was like great at fixing everything. I can fix nothing. We were a perfect match, right? <laughs> It was, it was so cool. But maybe, maybe we've, we've missed it. You see, maybe we think, well, when Jesus is calling us to share our faith, this is going to be weird and it's just going to be all awkward. Or, or maybe it's a chance to join with our Father in the work that he has always wanted to do alongside us and see him work in just supernatural ways that so shapes our faith. Right? I mean, I just hear people all the time, and this is what gets me in trouble in church. I mean, people say, you know what, I'm just looking for a church where I can get fed. We just want to go deeper, man. So you got any Bible studies that are going deep? You know, you, you, you can do an 80-week study through Leviticus, and that's cool. That's good. I'm not anti that. I'm not anti that. But why don't we just start by doing what God's called us to do? Why don't we just start there? Why don't we just, why don't we just start by sharing the truth of who Jesus is with one other person, and maybe we'd see God work in such a powerful way. I mean, Bible study is good, and I'm in one, and you should be in one. But as we take Jesus seriously and begin to live our faith out, watch what he does, and you will see God move in miraculous ways. It is so cool. And here's the point. It's probably more for us than maybe it even is for them. I say this. People disagree with me. Let me go ahead and run it out. I believe this is true. Refusing to fish is really refusing to grow. I mean, not completely grow, but you're going to limit your spiritual growth in your life if you refuse to fish. I believe that. C.S. Lewis said this, nothing is truly yours until you share it. You want to own your faith? Nothing is truly yours until you share your faith. Now, here's the third and final thing. Listen, I think if you want to work with, with, with God in the work that he is calling you to to become a fisher of men, we have to drop the excuses, right? Are you thinking about some of the excuses that have held you back? How many excuses held us back? We've got to remember to, to follow him is to fish. That's what Jesus is up to. He's, in, he's up to making us fishers of men. And then finally, we just got to start casting. Let me say this, if today, uh, you know, you, you came up here afterwards and said, let's go fishing, I would say first, let me call my wife, but if she said I could go, then we, we just hook the boat up and we go, we go over to Percy Priest and we'll take you to my best spot, and then you know what I'm going to tell you, start chunking, just start casting because you can't catch them if you keep this thing in the boat, that's one thing I know about fishing, I don't know a lot. If you keep this thing in the boat, I promise you're not going to catch anything. But when I go, I'm just casting. Why? Because every cast, I think, you know what? It could happen. And you know what I say? Start, do something. 
Just do something and believing that God could use you. There, there's the first thing. If we're going to start casting, you might say, well, what, what, that's goofy, dude. What does that mean? First of all, believe that God can and will use you. Because the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Believe that God can and will use you and wants to use you. Fishermen have faith. Do you know, let me ask you this question, do you know where the fastest growing church in the world, the country that the fastest growing church in the world is located today? Anybody know? Somebody said China. Used to be that was the right answer. It's not today. Per capita, do you know the fastest growing church, what country it's in? It's in the country of Iran. Many are referring to it today as the Iranian awakening. It's taking place in house churches led by women who are leaving Islam by the thousands and surrendering to faith in Jesus Christ. In the last decade, more people in Iran have come to faith in Jesus Christ than in 1,300 years combined in that country. Is that amazing? You see what? It's cool, isn't it? Do you know why I share that? Because we would think, that's impossible. How could God be doing something? Listen, nothing is impossible with our God. And so it really begins when, with saying, God, I believe you can use me. I'm going to start casting. I believe that you can use me. And, and secondly, it would just be just a dangerous prayer. Ask God to use you. Just ask him. Do you, do, do you want, you know, sometimes people say, well, does God answer prayer? And then everybody gets in, well, you got to pray according to God's will, all that stuff. It gets all fuzzy. Well, here, I don't know the answers to all that. Here's what I do know. I know God's will is to see men and women who don't know him come to know him. I know that's true because the Bible says it's, it's God's will that no one should perish. Ask God, pray to God today. It's a dangerous prayer. It's a prayer that God will answer. God, lead me to somebody this week who needs to know you. And you'll be amazed at what he does. You'll be amazed at what he does. God, just, just ask him to use you. Ask him to use you. Because boldness just starts with a request. That's what it means to start casting. Boldness starts with a, with a request, God, use me. Rick Price, that name may be familiar with you, it may not. He's the football coach at Rockville High School, the new Rockville High School. Rick, a couple weeks ago, uh, got into a little bit maybe of hot water. Uh, he was praying with his football team. I think we have a picture of Coach Price praying with his boys after a game. And... Um, one person from the, as far as we know, that was a, an, an atheist, had a problem with this. So they complained to the Freedom From Religion Foundation. And uh, Rutherford County School Board uh, had to deal with this issue and come back and tell Coach Price that, hey, we love how you're caring for your, your team, but prayer needs to be student-led. Uh, on campus, on a, in a public school, prayer needs to be something that's led by the students. So, so Coach Price said, said, cool. Here's the following week at Rockville High School. <laughs> yeah. Pretty cool, isn't it? And so students said, all right. I don't know who the person was that sent that request in that complaint, and they're, like, they're probably like, I did not go the way I thought. <laughs> hey, God, use me. Hey, God, use me. How, how could you use me? And you see, just with boldness, just like this coach with his high school team, and God just blows it up and does an amazing thing. What does that mean for you? Invest in inviting somebody to be here with you next week as we start a series on kind of struggling, working through our emotions, which everybody deals with that. Maybe it's, maybe it's just this. Maybe it's just, you know what, think about your work group. Think about a class at school. Wonder if you took five or six people that you work with or you're in a class with and you just say this, you know, you'd say this, I'd like to pray specifically for you this week. Could you give me one prayer request that you have in your life? It's amazing when you just ask people, people that are not religious people at all, 
most of them, most of them value somebody else's praying. And here's a follow-up. Watch this, watch this. Here's what I ask you to do. A week later, go back. Anybody who gave you a request to pray for their grandmother or to pray for somebody sick in their family or something they were going through, go back a week later and ask them if they've seen evidence of God doing anything in their life. Do you believe God's at work? Yeah. Start casting. And it may open you up to a gospel conversation. Post some scripture on social media. Do something. Start casting. Here's a third thing I would say. Super important. If you want to start casting, watch how you live your story. This is so valuable. I'm almost done. Can you lock in here? Watch how you live your story. Let me tell you something about fish. Daniel, I don't know if you know this. We fish together, right? You still awake back there? Good. Good deal. Um, my, my granddad used to say this when I was a little boy and I'd go fishing with my granddad. i said, I think I'm getting a bite. And he said, well, set the hook. Fish don't have hands. You know what he meant? He said, didn't have it in his hands. Got it in his mouth. Oh. And then later I've come to realize that fish don't have eyelids. You're like, thanks, Pastor Brady. I'm missing the Titans game for this, bro. It's good. <laughs> they, don't, they don't squint. Their eyes are always open. Can I tell you something? There's somebody right now and their eyes are on you. They are watching. They watch what you post they watch how you respond to friends. They, 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 they listen to your, they're watching your life. And they're locked in on you. Two Sundays ago, I got in the car after this service with my, with my wife, and we had to go to, we were rushing out of here. And I, I was in the parking lot, and it's crowded as people are trying to get out. And I'm letting a couple people out in front of me, and this dude just sets on his horn. He's blowing his horn so, so hard. And Amy's laughing. She thought it was hilarious. I just turned around and just waved at the guy. It was kind of a weird look on his face. I said, see you in the cornerstone room. Obviously, you're lost. You need to be there next week. I was just kidding. I'm like, dude, if you're honking at the preacher five minutes after church, come on. He didn't think it was me. Um, a couple years ago, and I don't, I don't say this to make myself look good because it's not a good story. Uh, not a necessarily good story. I, I'm at the airport. It's a Sunday afternoon. I've got a flight. I'm going to a meeting that I had to be at that I didn't want to go. You ever had an experience like that? Man, I just do not want to go. I'm tired. I just want to go home. I want to go to bed. And I get there, and it's, it's packed around the gate, and they, the flight's delayed. People are griping getting angry, and uh, they're saying they're going to cancel this flight. And, and so sure enough, the, the little girl, she was a young girl, she came on the loudspeaker at the Southwest counter and said, folks, we're sorry tonight. This flight, whatever, is canceled. We're going to try to rebook you out tomorrow morning. People went nuts. And I'm thinking, yes. I get to go home. And uh, I let everybody, they were trying to get booked and, and, uh, for the next day, so I waited a little while, and then finally I went up. She said, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I said, it's no big deal. Don't, don't worry about it. She gave me an Applebee's little voucher, riblets, and I get to go home. I'm good. And um, she booked my flight for the next morning, and I left. And I, I got a, a call a couple weeks later. It was from a guy. He said, you don't know me. I go to your church. He said, I was, I was on that flight. And he said, uh, me and a buddy were sitting back. And we were watching you go to the counter. He said, we wanted to see how you'd respond. How's a preacher going to respond? And he said, we were waiting to see if you'd light her up or not. And he said, thanks for not. My buddy's not a believer. And, man, I, now listen, I acted the right way in that time, 
but he didn't even know the reason why I was acting the right way. That's not the point. I mean, when he told me, I went praise hands. Well, praise God. That's just what I do. Yeah, no. It just reminded me that somebody's watching. Somebody's watching you. Somebody's watching you right now. Could be your kids, coworker, neighbor. Their eyes are on you. You see, living the gospel gives you a greater opportunity to share the gospel. 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, I learned it this way, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. This is what blows me away about this passage. Listen, listen, listen. What Simon Peter is saying is if we're living the gospel, people will eventually start asking questions. So I've got a question for all of us today. How long has it been since somebody asked you a question of why you're responding, living, acting a certain way? See, we're meant to be salt in a world that's rotting because of sin. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, in one of my favorite quotes of all time, said this several hundred years ago, and it's still so true today. He said, I believe that one of the reasons why the church of the living God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. It's a powerful statement. Why does the church have so little influence over the world? Because the world has so much influence over the church. You see, watch your walk because somebody's watching you. Last thing I would say. Sooner or later, you have to be willing to share your story. Like some of you are like, yeah, man, like your life, that's me. That's my deal. I just live the gospel. Can I tell you something? And this is super controversial. You don't live somebody into the kingdom of God. You don't. In fact, sooner or later, it could be confusing for them because they don't understand why you're living and responding that way. They think you're a super good person, super great husband, really patient dude. They don't realize that Christ has transformed your life. Sooner or later, you have to give them a reason for the hope you have. Does that make sense? Be willing to share your story. This happened to me several years ago in South Texas. I caught this fish. Um, just want to show it to you. Folks, there it is. That fish weighed more than my granddaughter, who's two and a half months old, weighs right now. Um, here's the thing about that fish. Nobody had to tell me to send that picture to my buddies. I sent it to everybody. Like I told that story and people were like, you already told me. I already got that picture three times. Well, you got it again because it was awesome. It's the biggest fish I ever caught, biggest bass I ever caught. I've told that story over and over and over and over again. Because when something great happens, like we, we won't tell somebody. I mean, if you go to a great restaurant, right, a new restaurant, I mean, you, you share that with everybody. But listen. Has God met you at a deep place in your life, a time when you're overwhelmed by fear or doubt or insecurity or your world had just, just crashed in on top of you and Jesus met you there and rescued you, forgave you, liberated you, set you free, gave you new life? Tell your story. Fishermen love to tell their story. Hey, let me close. What excuses do you need to drop because they're keeping you from the work that God wants to do in your life. Would you ask God to use you this week? Believe that he can. Start casting. 
Last question is the most important question of the day. Give me 30 seconds, please. Please. For some of you, the reason that you are not sharing your story is because you don't have one. And you cannot share something that you do not have. And today, in this moment, here's what I'd love for you to see. It's all been a part of God's story for you to be here now. That's why you're here. Because he has been pursuing you. And he brought you to this moment in time to show you how much he loves you. And he wants to do something in you that you could never do in and of yourself. Would you trust him and let him forgive you and redeem you and give you life and give you a story, a story that you would be glad to tell? Jesus, thank you for this time. My prayer is now for folks around this room or maybe watching online that they realize that their story starts today. And even right now, Lord, they're admitting their sin, their sin that has separated them from you. And they're thankful that you died in their place and they're telling you that. And they're trusting in what you did on the cross for the first time is the payment for their sin. And Lord, right now, I'm believing that you're giving them new life and a story to share. Father, for others of us, can we remember the sweetness of when we met you, when you changed us? We'd go back and relook at those old pictures. And Lord, you'd give us a chance this week to share that story with someone else. Father, can you just remind us that's ultimately what fishing is, is just doing in somebody else's life what somebody's already done in ours. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.